This is WVU Reads. I'm your host, Jeff Hilsebeck. My guest today is Tiffany Mitchell-Patterson. Dr. Patterson is Assistant Professor of Secondary Social Studies in the College of Education and Human Services here at WVU. Prior to joining the faculty, Dr. Patterson taught middle and high school social studies for 10 years in Washington, D.C. and Arlington, Virginia. Her research interests include, among many other things, diverse civic education, action and engagement, teaching of social issues and social movements, social justice and activism, and secondary social studies. Although I especially like the last sentence of her bio, which is, education is her revolution. Professor Patterson, welcome to WVU Reads. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you could make the trip down here. I'm happy to be here. I thought maybe we'd start with that sentence from your bio. Education, revolution. Yeah, that's what I'm all about. What does that mean? Well... How I came to be an educator is not the traditional route. So I studied political science in college. My goal was to be Shirley Chisholm, and I still might be, you never know. But as I kind of went through and started in public policy, and even in that program, I began to see the importance of revolutionary action. Mm -hmm. Most of my papers were about revolutions around the world and international relations. And just really fighting for justice has been a thread. Mm -hmm. When I became a teacher, I realized that, wow, I can raise an army of revolutionaries here. In whatever field that they choose, they can be able to make sure they have this kind of social justice lens or be able to think about others. And so that's when I realized that this was my particular avenue Mm -hmm. and the way I would enact Mm -hmm. change. To change society. Change society through the young people. Mm -hmm. And you were teaching middle school? Just middle school, yeah. Uh I taught uh, middle school. Um, I started as a teaching fellow in fifth grade and then I taught sixth and seventh grade so I taught middle school yeah I've worked a little bit with fifth graders. That's a very sweet age. It is. In my experience. And even at sixth grade as well it's Mm. where we think that they don't they're not ready for kind of heavy topics but Mm. they actually are because they have this acute sense of fairness of justice Mm -hmm. and it's a perfect time to start to really work with them on that and them seeing the whole world yeah yeah outside of themselves yeah and then things get a little funny in seventh and eighth grade (laughs) no they get to rise it's the okay there's always the running joke about middle school teachers because it's like the craziest time in their life and nobody really wants to be a middle school teacher but it is the best time Uh I think it is a great way to capitalize on all the awkwardness all the things that are happening but Mm -hmm. those students are really ready to change the world and they're really questioning the world and they're Mm -hmm. ready to challenge so I find Mm -hmm. it to be a really ripe time to engage students in social justice that's cool well so I want to keep talking about that and and specifically about reconstruction Mm -hmm. uh, because you recently published an article in the conversation about reconstruction and teaching reconstruction Mm -hmm. and the importance of teaching reconstruction and the fact that reconstruction seems to be overlooked in middle and high school mm-hmm. curricula. Mm-hmm. So so let's let's go there. Now you open that article with a kind of a horrifying anecdote. Mm-hmm. 
Would you tell us that story and why yeah. you chose to open with so, that? So um, when I first began uh, teaching, I remember asking uh, in my middle school classroom, I believe, um, and I was saying, what do y'all know about black history? It's about to be Black History Month, and this is the time when people, schools normally put emphasis on it. Yeah. And a student just said so plainly, so matter-of-factly, as if they were sure, Martin Luther King freed the slaves. And I said, whoa, what? <laughs> But when yeah. I shared that anecdote with other teachers, that was not an uncommon statement. Mm -hmm. And I said, wait a minute here. In this child's mind, all they had heard about black history was either slavery or civil rights movement. Yeah. And even in both contexts, they didn't get the nuances, the diversity of these experiences. It was there was this figure and there was this this thing that happened. Right. And that was when I was like, whoa, we really have to take a step back. Yeah. And if I even think back to my own education, black history in schools was also limited as well. Yeah. I had a lot of it outside mm -hmm. and my home. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what I wanted to bring into the classroom. Yeah. What are the challenges of that? I'm curious. And, and how could it come to be that a student would only know about slavery and Martin Luther King and would go as far to co as to connect those? Well, the curriculum is whitewashed in general. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think that's the start of it. So when we think about the influence of that, the textbook industry may have a few pages on slavery, may have a page on Martin Luther King. So textbooks are flawed. We know that that's mm -hmm. also whitewashed. And so it's that access to these diverse stories. It's yeah. on the onus of the teachers, mm -hmm. um, curriculum writers to be changing this, textbooks to be changing this mm -hmm. so that students have access to it. And, yeah. and also, you know, they could have heard other things, but that's what the student remembered. So it's not right. to say that teachers didn't bring up sure. other topics or things, but those were the, the two distinct factors that that student connected in their right. mind, right. which lets me know that their access to information is limited. Right. I guess within the schools, but also outside. Outside of the schools, because adults might to say not, this, not right? To blame the teachers, right? We don't want to blame uh, teachers about this. Or even this. schools. I mean, right. there's a much larger cultural problem. Yes, there. Yeah, I think this is a broader context in that. And this was the big push for ethnic studies and all that mm -hmm. in the 70s. It's the outgrowth of the civil rights movement. There is just a lack of intentionality yeah. of placing these topics in the curriculum. Yeah. And that is at the source of the problem where yeah. a lot of teachers and teacher activists push for that. Yeah. Well, I, I would like to explore that more and some of the hurdles that even well-intentioned well -intentioned yeah. teachers face. I mean, you mentioned the textbooks, mm -hmm. for instance. But maybe even before that, we could just talk a little bit about Reconstruction. Yeah. What is Reconstruction? Why is it called Reconstruction? Yeah. So Reconstruction is the period after the Civil War. And then, in fact, it was a rebuilding of our society. What do we want the society to be like? Um, not just the physical rebuilding, which also mm -hmm. occurred, mm -hmm. but also what types of policies Policies. What what is this new age going to signify? There, W. E. B. Du Bois chronicled this in um, Black Reconstruction in America, talking about well, what are the experiences? So this is the time where we get the Fourteenth and Fifteenth Amendment or Thirteenth Amendment in slavery in eighteen sixty five. So we get these amendments. There's a lot of advocacy around who gets to vote, mm -hmm. representation, and then during this time of this 
resurgence. There's also this rise in domestic terror. So there's mm-hmm. also the rise of the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about specifically in black history, it's a really unique period and a complex period. Yeah. And it's not and it's in the curriculum. So it's not that it is something that is not taught, but the depth of what mm-hmm. is taught, the nuance to what is mm-hmm. taught in regards to black history mm-hmm. is what I wanted to point out. Yeah. You also talk about at least as I understood it, using reconstruction to that you said reconstruction is essential for exploring black power, resilience, and excellence. Yeah. So it's not simply a matter of providing them with facts. Right. Who you, I mean, you mentioned representation. So you yeah. had a lot more, a lot higher representation in state and local yeah. and state and federal I mean, government. You had most textbooks will talk about either the senators, the black male senators that mm-hmm. are in Congress, so representatives and senators in Congress. But then there was upwards of two thousand public officials that were black, from like postmasters to mm-hmm. all these other positions. Yeah. And that's like an amazing fact during this time when you're just removed from enslavement, a period right. of enslavement. Where it happens very <laughs> right, happens quickly. Right, it happens. And, and this is a brief, there, yeah, it becomes hope and it shows this resilience. Right. And so then when you think about what does this mean to see that? You also have the rise of historically black colleges and universities. Mm-hmm. There were some prior to Reconstruction, so it's not to say that this just started during that time period. There were a few that had started, but there's a big boom mm-hmm. where you see a lot of this growth happening. So this was kind of this period where it was truly indeed black excellence. You yeah. see now black people in Congress. You see black now People getting educated, you know, as teachers, as nurses um, in various fields, black businesses become Mm -hmm. a big boom. Black women engaging in a lot of activism, not just around um, issues of suffrage, but also if issues of race. Mm -hmm. Um, Black women becoming lawyers during this time. Black women owning newspapers during this time. You see a lot of this black excellence and people excelling at this level amidst when they're also Threaten, mm-hmm. terror, mm-hmm. lynching becomes on the rise um, because of this. Right. You know, so I think for the people to excel during that time period, just like through all time periods, when there is this immense threat of white right. supremacy, yeah. is something that can relate to today, but mm-hmm. then also show the power of people just removed from right. in the time of enslavement. Right. I could imagine it would provide a lot of insights into social change mm-hmm. and the resistance to social change. So you're saying that there's organized resistance mm-hmm. against Reconstruction, against black power and yes. black excellence, um, and like how Jim Crow. And that the, connects to today. So mm-hmm. that it's not that this is just happening now. Right. There is this legacy of that in American society. And right. we see while this has been going on since that time period in, of enslavement, that there have been people also excelling and also people overcoming obstacles. Mm-hmm. I told my students all the time in every period of injustice in American society, there have been always people fighting for justice mm-hmm. in American society. And it's mm-hmm. it's in teaching this content and balancing it with hope yeah. that there, yes, these things are happening, these structural things, these institutional things, interpersonal ways racism has played out in people's lives. But then there are always these people that were fighting against that and yeah. challenging that. And what side are you going to be yeah. on? And that's kind of my message to students. I would love to hear you talk then a little bit about 
citizenship, I guess, mm-hmm. or or even even something a little bit more nebulous than that, which is sort of like an, an individual's relationship as a citizen, a relationship to to their country, which I imagine is something that's sort of operative in middle school. I, mean, I remember, yeah. you know, I had to sing the Pledge of Allegiance in elementary and and in middle school, and so I think I must have been forming ideas about America during that time. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, kind of deeply flawed, shallow ideas, but nonetheless like a picture of what the country is mm-hmm. and consequently what my relationship to it should be. And, you know, the more you read about American history, the more distance you want from it to some extent because there's so much that's so horrible about it. Um, but like you say, there are also counter narratives, examples of hope and, and courage and things like that. So, like, is that something... I, I don't know. I guess I guess my question is like, is that something you think about when you're training teachers or when you were, yourself were training? Is something you're trying to communicate Absolutely. to students? Not only just with training teachers, but in in my own classroom. Mm-hmm. So um, I taught civics and economics. Also taught U.S. history up until 1865. And so, what I would have my students grapple with at 11 and 12 and 13 years old was let's look at these documents and when they were created at the time they were created who were they were created for Mm -hmm. but so we know that they were created for white wealthy men there was no space and I have Mm -hmm. students that were who who's not included in this um I would show things like the constitutional convention picture and I said who's not here and they would say all sorts of things you know people of color indigenous peoples women they would even say things like well kids are not there either Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so they don't have a voice in the space either and then we would talk about even breaking down the preamble when we say we who's we Mm-hmm. When we say our country, who's considered to be a part of our yeah. country and what does that mean? Also, we talk about then what have these groups that have been isolated from this original vision, yeah. how have they used that right. to get rights? Mm-hmm. This 14th and 15th Amendment was pushed by black. Mm-hmm. You know, there's black people pushing for this, mm-hmm. women pushing for this. Mm-hmm. Um in fact, um, a woman who I mentioned in the article, Mary Ann um, Shad Carey, testified on behalf mm. of the 14th Amendment. And then in her testimony also spoke to how this doesn't include women and how this mm. is even problematic. Yeah. So, yes, give people vote. But you're talking about formerly enslaved men. Right. Where are women in this? Mm-hmm. And so there's always been this push and why we should be thankful as America for groups of color, for Women, and we see now even the LGBTQ movement, how these groups that are not represented have pushed to be represented to really make our country um, a more perfect union. It's like this this ideal goal that we have had to systemically fight for and teaching students that land lens of it mm-hmm. and so then they start saying, oh yeah because this hasn't right and we read things like the fourth of, what does the fourth of july mean to the negro by frederick Douglass, mm-hmm. and he's talking to white liberals people mm-hmm. that are on his side people that are abolitionists and he's calling them out right. and so it's this push of like we all have work to do right. and like this is a long-term goal mm-hmm. this is a long-term fight yeah. we constantly grow and evolve in it but I charge my students that in whatever field that they choose, I'm not expecting them all to be social justice um, champions, but I'm hoping to plant seeds that they will start to see that 
this that they can push past these tropes of just patriotism and then they can also see why people feel disconnected from it yeah and how people also fight to be a citizen right and and so this very complicated i really am interested in this topic i Mm -hmm. love civics Uh Um, and that's probably from my poli side background but yeah and that's kind of some of the ways that i not only have done that work in my classroom but i also talk with pre-service teachers Mm -hmm. about doing that complicated work with them and they can handle it and they start to see the nuance in things that's my big push complexities Mm -hmm. nuances Mm -hmm. nothing is just black and white yeah yeah and it it occurs to me that citizenship could provide a kind of alternative to patriotism Mm -hmm. because it, it does imply a certain amount of engagement with one's country but not any kind of blind allegiance mm-hmm. to it. And like you say, these documents are flexible and have been defined and redefined over the course of history and made space, or attempts have been made, you know, to create mm-hmm. space in them for more people. I wanted to, to talk about black power a little bit. Yeah, then, right that's on. That's okay. Too. All power to the people. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it was on my mind just because we recently celebrated Martin Luther King mm-hmm. Jr. Day. And I try uh, to watch like an episode or two from Eyes on the Prize, mm-hmm. which is a documentary. It chronicles the history of the civil rights movement in tremendous detail, I think. It's a great resource. But the episode I watched was, in the episode I happened to watch the other day, it sort of told the story of the splintering of SNCC mm-hmm. and with John Lewis um, and, and other people like Lewis sort of sticking close to the ideas of nonviolence that Martin Luther King was preaching, and then Stokely Carmichael sort of sp- and some other people splintering off of that and adopting this idea of black power, which was very threatening to white people mm-hmm. um, and continues to be very threatening to white people. Now, when you use that phrase in your article, it's something to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess I'm wondering, first of all, why... It, I mean, as, as a student of, of American history, like, what is the threat there? I mean, why is black power understood then and now to imply violence or to necessarily be militant, which is how at least it's portrayed during the civil rights movement and with the rise of Stokely Carmichael and Malcolm X. That's how it's understood. I think there's a gross misunderstanding of what black power is in Mm -hmm. the broader public. Because when you even think about the Black Panther Party, that's the first thing that typically comes up, right? Mm -hmm. It's the, they were in front of the Capitol with guns where they were exercising their right, right? And which... There was just a gun rally in Virginia last week, and right. that was not seen. Right. Oh, it was a not pass, it was a passive event. And it, right. and so you right. think about what does it mean when black people engage in their rights of the Constitution mm-hmm. and what that means. But that's still a gross misrepresentation. Black power is black pride, is black beauty. Um, black Panther Party in particular started the free breakfast and mm-hmm. lunch program that would mm-hmm. later be adopted by the federal government, and so they were at this forefront of providing community services and saying, okay, if you neglect our community, then we're going to police our own communities. We're going to take care of our own communities. And so in one sense, um, this view of violence is interesting because Martin Luther King was also viewed as violence. If you go Mm. violent, Mm -hmm. if you go through his FBI files and you think about how he was being portrayed, particularly in the latter part of his life when he began to speak out about the Vietnam War, when he began to speak out against capitalism, Mm -hmm. now he's a threat as well. Mm -hmm. But this is the same beloved figure that helped to get 
the Voting Rights Act passed. So I think we have to think about how, in general, we view black people. It's always been a threat. And I think, or how some people view them, because of the power that exists in what they... Imagine a people being able to endure so much and accomplish so much at the same time, Mm -hmm. right? And throughout American history, right? To continue to be... Uh, marginalized and excel that's going to be a threat but I I caution that word of how black power and I want to flip that that is not violent in fact it's not Um, what is violence and what has had record of violence is white power (laughs) and white supremacy and that seems to be oh no no don't say that don't say white supremacy don't say we don't feel like that Mm. but that is actually has been the American terror of our country yeah so that's yeah. where that word should be placed yeah. instead of people that were actively trying to portray themselves. And I think right. when and what I love about what you brought up about the Eyes on the Prize documentary, which I had to watch as a child because that is what happens in black homes, right? You raise <laughs> like you watching this whole series, <laughs> is that the civil rights movement was not just Martin Luther King. No, there no, were not at all. so many ideologies that mm-hmm. were coming out of this, and even Stokely Carmichael once being a part of SNCC. Then go, I mean, it was yeah. so much of that happening. It was yeah. so many people, so many thoughts about what was the way to progress, and that evolved and changed and shifted. Yeah. And they still all engaged each other. Right. There was this still healthy love and respect for, hey, I don't agree with maybe this particular method. Right. But Malcolm X visited Martin Luther King. They had a relationship. Right. right. Um, They're marching John Lewis, right, Alabama. was yelling. You can see there's footage of him yelling at Martin Luther King, but then John Lewis is still on uh, the March on Washington stage. Yeah. So it's like this way of where we can disagree, both publicly and privately, on the way forward. Yeah. And you have to think everyone was really young at that right. time, right? right? So it's like this youth angst right. also yeah. involved with it. And yeah. there's so many issues um, that they were tackling yeah. and just not respective to yeah. civil rights, but then issues, you know, around the Vietnam War and all these other things that yeah. were happening during the mid to late 60s. Yeah. Well, and, and so much anxiety. I mean, as, yeah. as you sort of put it earlier, I mean, just watching this movie, you're very aware of the constant threat of physical violence. Yes. Yes, um, violence, being in jail unjustly. Mm-hmm. Um, we see people getting bailed out, but there's a lot of people that were left in, mm-hmm. um, accused for crimes they had not committed. Mm-hmm. There's a your home bombed. Mm-hmm. There's so many deaths related yeah. to the civil rights movement and not just of black people. And that's the other part to it, too. Like, Chicano movement comes out of this. Mm-hmm. You didn't just have black power. You had red power, yellow power, brown power. It was this extension of, you know, we're all kind of in this, in this solidarity. And it was a very interracial movement as well. Yeah. And so many lost their lives as a result, too. And that's yeah. the honor and respect that I think want students to know that. Yeah. A lot of people gave up their life and sacrificed in order to make this country better. And so what does that mean and how can we honor that? And connecting it to citizenship, we think about voting or just protests. But there was also a lot of organizing and education that was happening in these communities. And there there were so many things. So many committees. So many (laughs) committees. There was lots of committees. Uh And thinking about the the challenge of educating citizens and showing young Mm -hmm. people, you know, what, what it means to engage not only through voting, 
or through marches, but through these kinds of committees and movements that we're talking about is is really important. Because otherwise, I think if someone does engage without the knowledge that that's what's required, it quickly kind of becomes frustrating. Right. It's like, okay, I went to the march and, and nothing what? changed. Yeah, now <laughs> what? Right? Right. It's understanding, and, and that's one thing. Because you do get that, and I would say even with my younger students, it's okay, I'm ready to do something now. All right, I'm going to do, let me do something now. I'm like, yes, that's one thing, but this is a long-term fight. And how right. I would almost explain it to some of my students who were big Star Wars fans, the resistance goes mm-hmm. on at least 30 years I've been watching a movie. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it goes over this long period of time. Right. And they're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, right. yeah, you see the Avengers, they're together a long time trying right. to do And so kind of making some connection to some things that they can relate to. Harry Potter, long time. You see, right. so kind of making those connections right. to where they can see that this is a long game. This is not a short game. Mm-hmm. This is not where you get lots of praise for things. Things. This is you are making a com- life commitment right. to do this work, and right. so that's why when I say education is my revolution, that's my commitment to mm-hmm. myself as my life's work, and just trying to push the needle forward, right. just trying as little yeah. plant seeds where I can, knowing that I might not end oppression and tackle all these things, but I've now helped to drop some seeds right. with some young people that you're, might. You're a part of something I'm a part of it, yes. With a long history. Yes, built on a long history. And it's important that they know that long uh-huh. history because that long history will sustain you. Yeah. Well, I'm reading Angela Davis in high school. That sustained me. Mm-hmm. Reading Malcolm X in middle school. Mm-hmm. That showed me that people were doing this and that I can be a part of this yeah. as well. And so yeah. those stories matter. These stories yeah. matter. So tell me, like, what... what what does an ideal social studies classroom look like when they're teaching Reconstruction? I think it's important to not lose sight of the complex stories, right? Mm-hmm. That is kind of the big issue. Like Reconstruction, yes, we were rebuilding the South physically. Um, yes, there were these Reconstruction amendments. But what did that really mean? Who was mm-hmm. really fighting for that? What Where are some maybe some individuals that we hadn't heard of mm-hmm. um, that we can do? What And that's why I kind of what made me really think about that was um, in that book, Black Reconstruction in America, because I remember reading that in the college and I revisited the book um, to work on this piece. And I was like, wow, you know, he really took a step and said, we need to chronicle what's happening hmm. during this time period, mm-hmm. specifically with black America. There's, there's a lot here. Hmm. Um, and I think that's what we need to introduce. Yeah. Complexity. Um, the complexity, the nuances. Yeah. What did this mean for black people actually teaching white supremacy? Not just, oh, there was this group that formed check. KKK. Right, right. Like, no, this, we need to really break down that this was domestic terror mm-hmm. and people were still risking their lives to serve in this capacity for our country. Well, and the relationships between the the ways in which that white resistance was right. organized, that yes. it wasn't it wasn't these sort of lone Yeah, it was not wolves lone, right. or splinter groups. This these was were your like sheriff. Cops and this was your judge. School board. This was, right. This was people that controlled the aspects of right. daily living. Right. And so and then the introduction of Jim Crow, how that yeah. fades into the yeah. Jim Crow laws. And like what are some strategies because I imagine you can't teach a successful seventh grade class standing behind a podium no, and, 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 no. and giving them all this history. No. So what's it look like? So what primary sources are a great way to mm. engage students with have them actually read letters, mm. have them break down the amendments. 
do they can do close readings of it so reading it really closely mm-hmm. you can pose a broad question have them answer it you can do station activities with different people that they may have never heard of okay. and have them kind of learn about, yeah. okay, who this? Oh, this and this. And then bring it back together. Mm-hmm. You can have a Socratic seminar style discussion mm-hmm. around some of these issues. And so I think there, one is presenting the information and then depending on your age group, how you might present yeah. that information. Yeah. So you might not give... You know, there's really long, you know, everything that happened with the 14th Amendment. Right. But you can maybe provide a story and give them the shortened version yeah. and a bridge version of yeah. for a younger group. But then you might have and you also have to think, too, about the trauma that's laced within this. Yeah. So when you are teaching trauma, when you are teaching some of the bad things, you do want to also make sure to contextualize it for students Uh because it does bring up sorrow it does Uh bring up feelings Mm -hmm. i tell my students if you're unfeeling feeling uncomfortable good yeah i don't want you to feel like everything is sunshine and roses but there's also um you can give students that chance to you know if you need to take a break if this becomes really heavy if this is bringing up other things for you um especially if there's something come like lynching and things like that. And, yeah. you know, maybe they recently had someone pass away, connecting them to the counselors to let them know these are the topics we've been exploring, but this connected to something else. Yeah. Um, I found that students really respect when you engage them intellectually, yeah. when you treat them as if they are humans deserving of, this knowledge that can right. handle this knowledge appropriately. I have never had students disrupt be, uh, because of how I contextualize. This is heavy stuff. Yeah. This is what happened. And I trust that you can see this information and you can unpack it because I know that you can. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, ooh, mm-hmm. you know, oh, well, yeah. And I'm like, sometimes I say, oh, this is like a college classroom right now. You guys are engaging in college level. Oh, yeah, I'm in college. Yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. And, and then that. And so I think some teachers have trepidation about, yeah. oh, well, are they going to handle this? Or maybe are they going to make a joke? And if a student mm-hmm. makes a joke, Correct it in front Mm -hmm. of the class and say, so you made fun of this person's experience. How do you think that might make them feel? Mm -hmm. Why is this important? Is this Mm -hmm. really funny? Every time student will say, oh, my gosh, no. Mm -hmm. Usually it comes from a place of nervousness. They don't really know how to respond to information. Mm -hmm. This may be the first time they're. And this is why it also shouldn't be the first time you're just talking about these topics. Mm -hmm. There should have been this thread of where they're able to engage in material. They understand there's some broader issues. So then when they're approached with something uh, like Reconstruction topic, they're like, oh, yeah, we understand. Because we have this kind of working understanding of racism. We kind of understand why this could be wrong. And that helps, too. They say teaching is in a political act. It is. It absolutely is a political act. and But at the same time, I tell my students, I am not telling you what to think. I'm teaching you how to think mm-hmm. and to understand that people are going to think differently from you. Mm-hmm. And that's that point of you. Everyone has different experiences that shape their worldview. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a part of their perspective. And it's usually not until you get other experiences that that shifts your yeah. worldview and yeah. your perspective. Yeah. And so I'm giving you some additional perspectives to help shape your worldview. Yeah. And that's kind of my mantra to my yeah. students. Yeah. One of the things that's so frustrating about this idea, kind of pernicious idea that um, schools 
brainwash students, mm-hmm. you know, uh, by inculcate some mm-hmm. particular yeah. liberal ideology. It's like the, to to say that is to be so cynical about um, the the potential of those students yeah. to think for themselves. They think for themselves because, of course, they do. Right? They do right, and yeah. exactly. And and it's us up to us as educators to give them the tools to think yeah. for themselves. Yeah. Don't yeah. just look at one news station. Look at five. Right. Right. And then challenge all of them because yep. all of them have a bias. Right. And then teaching them those skills help them to yeah. be more critical thinkers yeah. and critical observers of the world. Yeah. Well, that that brings me to uh, my next question. Um, and I, I wanted to um, think about something else that's in your article, and that's books mm-hmm. and reading and, yeah. and literacy because that's a favorite topic of this podcast. Um, so you point out in your article that it was actually illegal – to teach enslaved people to read, mm-hmm. um, and that consequently during Reconstruction, education uh, was a priority. And you mentioned the um, HBCUs earlier, the establishment mm-hmm. of, of a number of HBCUs that um, are, are, are still operational today. What is it about reading, do you think, that's so dangerous um, or, or so threatening? And, 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 and what then is the connection between reading and, and black power, which you were talking about earlier? You have to think about um, reading gives you a gateway. It's liberation because it gives you a gateway to the outside world. Mm-hmm. It gives you uh, a need to be able to gain knowledge of self, of others, Um and realize that when you're told something, you can challenge it, right? Mm-hmm. So that became one of the key. I mean, it was, why would you not allow them to read? Because you're using the Bible to tell them what it says about slavery and what their lot in life should be mm-hmm. as an enslaved person. Because then you might get the knowledge <laughs> to say, oh, wait a minute, this is wrong. Right. right? And thinking about slavery. But then how right. it connects to the Black Power movement. When you think about um, even the Black Panther Party specifically, since that's the most connected to Black Power Movement, mm-hmm. they're educated. Mm-hmm. They had masters, PhDs. You know, they realized, wait a minute, this maybe system of capitalism isn't, isn't what's beneficial to us. Right. Or I know for me personally, it allowed me to see beyond where I was. It allowed me to connect to a broader experience. So my mother was... Um, really advocated for me not only understanding my experience as a black woman but also that I'm a part of an African diaspora Hmm. so it allowed me to see that there were black people all over the world Mm -hmm. and that they were also struggling for change um, and liberation and independence and she was specific about giving me books about black women I read Sojourner Truth in um, sixth grade I read the Maya Angelou autobiography series you know I'll know why the cage bird sings I read uh, Asada, Angela in high school. It was like Shirley Chisholm. And that's when I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to go study political science. I really like government. I really like civics class. And she ran for president. Mm -hmm. Why not? Mm -hmm. And so that allows you to see yourself by seeing someone else and connecting to that and seeing someone that looks like you achieve, do, be. But -hmm. also just gives you knowledge. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I remember reading Art of War, and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Like, being able to see, yeah, I got tactics. Now I got military strategies in my mm-hmm. head. It just opens up a world to you, particularly yeah. if you can't travel to that world. Right. And so I think that's the danger in it. I mean, knowledge is powerful. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is life-changing. When you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the... Um, 
colloquial way to say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so important for our students. And it's mm-hmm. it's this love. And it's not to say that you can't read fun stuff too, right? Mm-hmm. It's not sure. to say it, but it's just the power of it, the choice of it, the access of it. Anything you want to know is out there. Right. And so being able to have that access to it is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And the love of it. I mean, I like I like that. You know, that what what we have to instill in students is a is a is, is a love for reading and for knowledge, and um, one of the ways because that's going to last. Yeah, that's what the lasts. Classroom. And I think the sh- what happens in schools is they do a lot of prescribed reading, which then right. limits that choice, limits that right. interest. I keep hearing you talk about how important it is that teachers have this basic level of respect mm-hmm. for their students yes. as individuals, mm-hmm. and that there are opportunities. I find mm-hmm. at least in my classroom to sort of make the power dynamic a little bit more, which is so asymmetrical, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. just inherently, um, to kind of level that a little bit through choice. Um, but Absolutely. it's challenging. It's, it's challenging to cede that kind of authority to students. Um, but it's so rewarding. Yeah. And, and they step up. Mm-hmm. And then you're there, I think of its teacher as facilitator, not as like you are there to help facilitate knowledge. You help to ground what they have already in them. You help to share new ideas with them, but allow them to do that critical work that is messy, is complicated. Yeah. It doesn't feel good, but give them that space to do that. Yeah. And they'll still meet, you know, whatever, and they'll still do. And they actually will be more excited. Right. I find that projects, essays, work is more high quality Mm -hmm. because now they have a vested interest in it. Now I feel like I can be me in there. Even now, many assignments that I offer at the college level, I give them choice in how they present it. You Mm -hmm. can write a paper. You can do an Mm -hmm. art project. You can do do a mini documentary. It's on you how you choose to share this information with me. We will practice these things individually. And there are times where you just have to do a paper. But there are also times where you get to express yourself. And so I want to balance that both Mm -hmm. for my pre-service teachers in hopes that they do that in the classroom, that they provide those different opportunities. Right, and different students learn in different ways and have different strengths. So like with reconstruction, you know, you are going to have to give them some basic facts because they're going to have to do that work. But then you also can have that space where they can also um, do a lot of inquiry and they can kind of make meaning for themselves. Yeah. Around it. Um, well, let's um, let's end with the Fifteenth Amendment because that yeah, it's coming come up, up and, anniversary, one hundred and fiftieth anniversary mm-hmm. of the Fifteenth Amendment. We are basically in the middle of that mm-hmm. right now. February third, so I believe, is the yes. Yeah, so the Fifteenth Amendment, which was ratified on February third, mm-hmm. asserted that neither federal nor state governments can deny voting rights to any male citizen. Unfortunately, as you point out at uh, toward the end of the article, voting rights continue to be restricted for voters of color, mm-hmm. and those restrictions are accompanied still, as they were during Reconstruction, as we've been discussing, by racist violence. And to some extent, those are coordinated efforts, I mm-hmm. would suggest. So what, what role can educators play in making sure that the promise of the 15th Amendment is honored. I mean, we started this conversation talking about education as revolution, mm-hmm. and, we're, and we're talking about empowering individuals, young people, to engage um, civically. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's a, a, some amount of distance between the classroom, a uh, 12-year-old in the classroom, mm-hmm. and what's happening federally or, or in states around voting rights. So, yeah, so what, 
what can we do, those of us who are working with young people? I think educating them. Yeah. Let, explaining what gerrymandering is. Explain to them the issues of access, the closing of polling stations. What does that mean, particularly in impoverished areas, particularly for elderly, particularly for people of color? Mm-hmm. And using recent examples, I think current events really helps us. Mm-hmm. What happens to breaking down Supreme Court cases and the destruction of the Voting Rights Act and why is this something they say, well, we shouldn't have it renewed when we don't need this protection anymore. It's not 1965. But then we still see these things happening. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things we can leave with students is that this is still happening. Right. <laughs> like this didn't, this didn't stop. Right. And using current events as a way to do that. And then actually explaining the technical ways that this is happening, the redistricting is happening, right. the closing of the poll stations are happening. And I think that's a very easy conversation to introduce to students. In fact, we're going to be having that conversation tomorrow in my classroom with students on how you teach this mm-hmm. and actually explaining to them first because these are some complicated words that Mm -hmm. might gerrymandering what in the world is that and so I think that for us as educators whether they're 12 or in high school they're about to be voting age so and they take civics and government in their senior year many of them are voting age during that time really being incumbent upon that there's some cool ways you can look at the maps of their local communities mm. see what polls that are there mm-hmm. what polls have closed mm-hmm. so that they can see that if this is happening there as their population the american um community survey survey the census they mm-hmm. have like mm-hmm. uh, all types of ways you can really use cool data yeah. to see about populations where they live how they've changed over time. So we can talk about that. You can use those resources, get into a little GIS and bridge geography into um, history to do it that way. You can look at reading personal or oral histories. Mm-hmm. We're not that removed from people not being able to vote. Yeah. And there are people in this community that could not vote or their parents couldn't vote. And they remember that distinctly. Yeah. And then it's happening still now. Yeah. You can go to a senior citizen home and, and interview and do oral histories mm-hmm. and find that the struggles of there's not a bus that might take them to right. the polls. Yeah. Right. right. So what, is, what, what does access right. mean? What does access mean? What does having access denied right. mean? It can mean more than just sort of being barred from a polling right. place. It, yeah, it's a, huge issues of access. Yeah. And and like you said, political violence that's mm-hmm. happening with the redistricting and who gets representation. Right. And so I think just bringing these issues to students yeah. will allow them to, because youth and young people are the protesters of every generation. Right. They're the ones that say, okay, y'all not doing nothing, we'll do that. We mm-hmm. see this with the climate, the climate activists. Moment, yeah. We see this. So mm-hmm. let's tap that in tap students into some of these issues I think a lot of it is that they don't know yeah. particularly if they're younger like why would they this wouldn't be on their radar right. so you put it on that radar making right. those historical connections right or like why having a state issued ID yeah might it, be right, challenging be, right, exactly for some people Whereas to someone else, it might just seem kind of anodyne. Like, right. oh, whatever, I've got my driver's license. I got my driver's license. And you're like, no, not everyone does. Yeah. And then and then going into new issues, like now with the real ID, what would that mean mm. of not being able to travel and all these other mm. stuff? So this, I think there's issues of access and then that the representation police and that is actually mm. racist violence because they're strategically done to prohibit certain populations that, mm-hmm. that right. Mm-hmm. 
and it's been proven. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why it's like, and right. people are winning cases around it. So exploring right. those cases too also helps them to see. Right. Well, and, and the different. distance too. I mean, the distance between law, like mm-hmm. well, what's legal and illegal and what actually happens mm-hmm. can be pretty vast. Yeah, obviously. absolutely. Uh, but people don't necessarily they don't think that. about it that way. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. You've made me very excited about, oh, good. Yay. Uh, about the 15th Amendment and Reconstruction and social studies generally. So Yes, there's lots of work to be done, yeah. and we're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was wonderful to meet you. I'm so glad you came in here. Nice to meet you, too. Um, I do think we have to close things. But is there anything else you want to add before... I would just say that there's lots of great resources in not just teaching this aspect of history. Um, There's a movement, um, Black Lives Matters in Schools movement. They have a lot of curriculum resources that are available. So don't just think of these as these isolated think about how you're teaching throughout and how can you incorporate diverse histories mm-hmm. not just of black people because I like I know a lot of times in a lot of places while I am vested in black history I'm a black woman I know that it often operates between the white black binary mm-hmm. and I want to make sure that we're also bringing in those other voices other people because mm-hmm. we were here we existed we excelled we were resilient in this face of oppression and and that we need to tell these complicated yeah. scores even and there's so many resources out there teaching tolerance teaching for change an education project mm-hmm. rethinking schools it's so many ways uh, resources out there that yeah. you can use okay great thank you alright bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs> no thank you This podcast is a joint production of the WVU Humanities Center and the DA, and produced by Nick Kratzis.